Steve, he, like you're 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 having a stress reaction right now because it's one of these companies that you've only heard of for bad reasons. Um, but A Speed is a, the company that makes the BMC that is in most personal computers, um, or or all personal computers. Um, so we're getting rid of that one too. I had a quick question around um, the kind of second part of your answer before, where what seems to be gaining traction in <coughs> rewriting these super low fundamental systems. And I know there's a push for like correct Rust, or um, I guess like logically provably correct Rust. And I think it's a subset of the standard library or a subset of Rust. And I wondered, um, I've heard of like SEL4, I think is like one of the provably correct kernels that. Um, you know, like they literally employ mathematicians to to prove that this system is secure in certain ways. And I wondered if um, Oxide and other companies are seeing um, either open, I mean, you know, employing both mathematicians and programmers and all that on the same team seems like a tough uh, thing to do. And I wondered if any of that is open source or if it's really um, relegated to kind of like industries that serve the army or, you know, kind of like governments or stuff like that. Yeah, so formal correctness is something that I think we are all very sympathetic with, but we have not endeavored to formally prove our own software. Uh, and, and Laura, I don't know if you talked, talk, we did a great journal club on uh, that, that got into some of this anyway, um, on, on formal correctness of systems, because it's actually, it's, um, it, it's very laudable. It's also very hard. It turns out uh, a lot of us at Oxide tend to be a lot of um, uh, formality nerds that we're, we enjoy reading the papers, but I think more than anything, uh, we try and take away from when we read, read these papers is figure out how to actually apply it. Because we did a, a as Brian mentioned, we did a journal pub looking back on, um, I think it was the, the 20 years of, of SEL4 and, and figure out what takeaways we take away from that. And I, I think more than anything, what we can appreciate is, is that we'll probably never be, right now, at least be doing a formal correctness what we can at least take away is, is that what are the other methods they have done to be able to help uh, make the code more secure and in particular are, are there development models or other ways of approaching the problem to be able to make things uh, safer yeah the actually we've done kind of two papers on the subject so uh, Laura's referencing one of them the and I, I'll, I, I'll link both these out I gotta figure out a way to have like show notes for the for Twitter Spaces, among my my many are my many requests for enhancement for, for Twitter Spaces when it stops kicking me off. But Laura's referring to um, from L three to SCL for, to SCL four. What have we learned in twenty years of L four microkernels? And then the other one I was thinking of, well, actually, Laura was the one that that uh, that you uh, shepherded the who guards the guards, the former valid the formal validation of the ARM V8M architecture specification, which is also really interesting. And that to me is like an area where formal validation. Formal verification is actually more tenable when you've actually got at the kind of a level that is you can more readily reason about. Um, but I thought that was also a really interesting paper. As you say, Laura, we're, we're definitely formality nerds. So, yeah. I'm crying for a minute. I completely forgot that I ran the journal club about that <laughs> until you actually mentioned that. No, no, it's also a very good paper. I think that one actually that was one in particular because it was actually a lot more approachable, I think. That it was a more practical terms of actually saying how do we try and figure out some of these things for verifying a formal specification because uh, it wasn't quite as abstract as for 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 uh, some things. It was closer to trying to figure out how we can verify that a machine model is actually 
doing exactly what we say it was. It's a lot of what we're trying to do is, you know, how do we make sure that this abstract hardware is actually doing something useful? So, hey, great. I'm not sure if that, if that answers the question or not. Or no, that, was, that was amazing, and I really appreciate it. Please definitely link that out. Um, the, I, I guess it kind of, my answer, or like kind of what I parsed was that it's almost like certain features or certain uh, functional aspects of that work it is actually uh, implementable and then like kind of like a super small subset can make certain pieces of the system safer. Is that actually? Yeah, I think so. It, like, it's small but important aspects of and that we can actually, there's a lot to be gleaned from all of the work that has happened on those systems. And so I think our kind of challenge is like, how can we, or saying like, how can we satisfy our need for formalism without getting too pedantic about it or too, I mean, you were mentioning uh, kind of a you know safe rust versus quote unquote unsafe rust, and I, th- I think sometimes y- you can end up getting you don't want to lose the forest for the trees, right? The, the, you want to be sure that your a system that we never deliver doesn't actually improve anyone's lives. So um, that's kind of the challenge. You know, we mentioned our our journal club. I, I don't know, Adam. You maybe we're talking about what what we've done there because I think it's actually you and I both experimented with journal clubs in previous lives I feel like we've got something that seems to be working decently well at Oxide that may be replicable for other companies yeah I think it's a a nice I think light-ish weight process where when people find a paper of interest that they like they kind of blast it out to folks and then uh, encourage people to read it once a critical mass usually it's like a quorum of three I think say that they read the paper and are interested in doing it, then, then we set a deadline, so a bunch of folks scurry around over the weekend to go read the paper and do their homework. Uh, we record it because you know, Brian, Brian loves all the <laughs> things, of course, like everything must be recorded. No, and it's, it's actually been great for new folks joining. It's a great topic that's relevant to work that they're doing, and then they get the benefits of the discussion of that paper. Uh, not, not as much as they get to participate, but it's still great having those artifacts. I think one of the things that um, you know that I, I've tried to institute at, at other organizations is just it never kind of got its momentum. It never became something that we did uh, as a matter of course, um, and and some of that became because it was like uh, it was too heavyweight. People were reticent to propose papers because then they had to, they thought they had to present on the topic, and people didn't do the homework because they thought that they'd be able to absorb it passively. Um, and so, um, explicitly, we ask the, the folks who propose the topics to be coordinators, but not presenters per se. And then we also ask everybody to read the paper. Um, yes. I, 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 mean, I, I feel like the, the, the two things we've done that have been that have been valuable that I've not done, and I think you and I have both separately not done, and previous times tried to do this is. Uh, everyone's got to read the paper in advance, and then there's no fixed cadence with respect to time. It is purely lazy evaluation when someone has a paper that they would like others to read with them. Um, and that together, like so far, I, I feel like that's been, it's, I feel like the nice thing about the system is like it can never be failing. There can just be an indefinite long long period. There can be an arbitrarily long period of time, right? No, because I, like, no. I feel like that's... You can't know, but this is the problem I've had. It's like you had this fixed monthly cadence, and then like the first couple are really good, and then you get this problem that you're describing, Adam, where people like they, you have these really good presentations of the paper, and they're like, "Why does anyone want to read the paper? I'm not going to read the paper. I'm going to go listen to Adam present the paper." 
it's like why would I read the paper when I can have Adam's going to give me a deck that walks through it it's like that's a lot then it doesn't work um, well, and then I think you know we, we are certainly in a privileged position but I think other folks may find that authors as papers are are often quite amenable to, to chiming in or joining in and, and certainly no one gets offended if you send them an email and say hey my my group at work is reading a paper of yours because it's relevant to our work would you be interested in joining especially in like pandemic times when we're all looking for excuses to like get away from our, from our toddlers for half an hour which is what i'm doing right now <laughs> uh, you know yeah, i think a lot of authors of papers or these topics are really excited to see their work making it into potentially more pragmatic settings than they originally intended them for well yeah i mean laura you had uh, bootstrapping trust in modern computers was great jonathan the author joined us and it was <laughs> that was a great discussion i really enjoyed that yeah, that was another one where I, I'm pretty sure I sit a bit through the club still because uh, it, in some respects, if I have to suffer this, you all should have to suffer through it with me. In terms of the <laughs> which is actually boring. Yeah, I don't know. So, uh, Laura, have you done the journal, I mean, journal clubs prior to Oxide? And what's your take on, on how that process has worked? Uh, I, I haven't really done a formal journal club like this, but I mean, I, I, I think I agree with, with everything that's kind of going on the as new basis has been uh, really effective, although I think um, what it is is a lot of come up with things, but I think some, what ends up being captured is some of these actually fight the whole schedule something, and that really gets things off. So uh, I think it's just a matter of everybody managing to uh, get enough scheduling down to be able to put something on the calendar. Yeah, but I think it, it is it is correct. I mean, I think something you tried to build, and that's something that's been important to me in every engineering organization that I've been a part of, is having that culture of looking to other work that's been done. Um, not to not because everything's been done before, but just because you don't want to have to relearn something that someone has already learned and talked about. Um, and if you can leverage someone's wisdom, it's like boy, that that seems like it's time really and energy well spent. Yeah, but uh, you know, but, but to that, to that point, you know, we were talking about open source earlier and the, and the and the revolution. And are we ever going to make progress if we keep on rewriting things from scratch? But you know, it's only from scratch, even a de novo implementation, if we're not learning from existing systems. And I know, Brian, you and I have talked about this, like the frustration of like systems that fail to learn from the systems before them. It, it's just really challenging. It's uh, frustrating. Personally, about like you know, work we did in Dtrace, and there's lots. I mean, I think that there's plenty that folks could just do better. But uh, you know, start from, from learning what we did and learning the mistakes that we made, and then just make it better, rather than uh, sort, of, sort of building without learning. And, and having that be part of the culture in your company organization is really important. Well, and then, like, how do you pull in those kind of those different DNA strands and different perspectives, and get to make sure that you're like you, you are understanding? Because often, like you know, a different domain did this. Well, you know, this is one of the things I actually really like about Rust. It's like you go to these RFCs. And so often they are looking at how every single language did something, you know, and that's, there's something to be said for that, of really trying to learn as much as possible. Our, our, our colleague Steve Klavnik, you know, about half the time when I ask him a Rust question, he'll come back to me with an article on C++ or on Haskell or some other language where, where you know, good artists copy, great artists steal, where they've stolen from the good work done in those other locations. Yeah, and I just think it's, you know, you are learning from the mistakes of others, right? Just like, please don't. Because I feel like when, when we see systems that repeat mistakes, I feel like engineers feel deprived of agency. They feel like my life is 
is deprived of meaning. Like I suffered for nothing. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, my opinion strokes there. It just feels like I, I think this is where because I, I do feel like you know engineering is this like very complicated balance between seeing the world as it isn't and accepting the world as it is. Right? You got to hit that like exact fulcrum and. I feel that, like, as an engineer, especially as you just, like, as you get older as an engineer, it's too easy to no longer see the world as it could be, and you just get mired in the way that the world is just, like, broken, and you just become very pessimistic. And I think that's, like... Well, the, 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 to the journal club, you know, we, we don't also um, exclusively look at academic papers. You know, we've looked at videos, we've looked at books. Uh, like, I, I can imagine sort of any artifact that requires some offline time to review being fair game for that. Uh, uh, because it, it, it's bringing in those different aspects of people's experience and background and, and, uh, and culture mm. to affect mm. these mm. technical outcomes. Mm. Uh, one of my favorites was uh, the Katie McCaffrey talk on uh, on sagas, which is work that I had been like you know, sniffing at, eyes over for, for like really tight. And now that's become a really important part of what we're building in the control plan. Yeah, that was great, and that was a. It was so great to have because we had Katie join us, and it was uh, we, which was it was so much fun to ask her all the follow-up questions. Nate, I saw you trying to get in there a second ago. Um, yeah, it was kind of uh, what you were talking about about learning from previous systems related to all of this discussion is kind of part of what I was getting at too, talking about open source hardware and and are we learning from the design level um, lessons? Not just not just implementation bugs. Um, so it's encouraging to hear that, and and I think that the like as you said the the trick to keeping that spirit of you know accepting how things are and and pushing forward to make them better is something you have to choose consciously um, because if you if you become unconscious of it then you will fall to one side or the other and the default is entropy. I think you're right. No, I think you're right, and I think that like the failure mode because and then you do get the failure mode mainly in upper management where you just no longer see the world as it is only as it could be and you just sort of like living in the future those people and we don't want to be those people either right that's that's kind of a curious thing to me because i'm not that by default the people who are just always sunshine and i'm like yeah but <laughs> um well I, and, and it's impressive to me and we need those people to balance us out uh, but but the upper management trap is is the cynical road of i feel like i personally now have too much to risk to you know, to imagine the world being that much better. Yes, and that's that's awful. Yeah. As long as you keep track of the way the world, the, the, the way the world is, because when they, those folks get, I, I, I've, I've occasionally worked with these. Kind, so the, I, I had an executive who would just like, just could not tell the truth. So everything, like, because you know, when if he said something, then we had already built that system, and then he could like. Build, he's building these like castles in his imagination of like so he would tell a customer all these things we did and I'd be like you know all that stuff is like those are all like lies like we haven't actually done any of that and he's like you know Brian I studied Greek and in, in Greek there is what's called the optative voice where you refer to something that is actually in the future but you refer to it in the present tense and I'm like did you just like is this a euphemism for? But this is just lying. We don't have the optimal voice, right? We're just in, in, in English. In English, 
aren't able to walk away, right? They've got this commitment both to the work and they've got this commitment to their colleagues and the artifacts of the success of the company that even, even in these intolerable uh, and kind of unresolvable conflicts, it's really hard to peel themselves away. Which I admire at some level. I mean, I'm definitely, I've, I've, I've been the dead ender a couple of times. I'll go down to the show. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like... Yeah, I mean, you and me both. Yeah, exactly. I said, oh, that's, that's relieved to hear. I just want to make sure you're going to go down, down the ship with me. I'm like, yeah. No, I, I mean, I, yeah, no, it, it's true. Well, you know, this, my, I talk about the Soul of the Machine a lot, but the, I love my favorite line from the Soul of the Machine is Tom West, who is like a mixed bag as an engineer, or as a manager, but saying that he really wanted to trust his engineers, but that trust is risk. I just love that line that trust is risk because that's part of the reason that so many of these companies have a hard time trusting their technologists. They just don't want to take the risk. And they, I mean, I, I would assume that, you know, that I'd be interested if I had that factored into your situation where it's like, ultimately, like you're having five hours of combat because you're not being trusted at some level, right? You're having to like, the, 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 but that sounds brutal. Uh, well, it does, but I mean, this is kind of touching on one of the fundamental things here that, that we don't, we as technologists often don't have the vocabulary for, and so it goes unseen, is is the psychology and, like, humanity of of the people you're talking to. Like, a lot of times we project, you know, that, that everybody else internally is like we are internally, and it's not true. And, and I think people would benefit a lot from having just even a survey of how different people see the world. Um... I think there's a huge unserved market for, like, being a, a psychological therapist for developers for these things. Like, one of, the, one of the last talks that I gave before quarantine was on salary negotiation. And it was at a one-day one conference, like an unconference, where you just throw your abstract up there and people sign up for it. And we, we assign the, the rooms by size based on who signs up for what. And they put me, they opened up a double room. Like, and I was terrified because I had written the talk that morning at 2 a.m. And I was just like, holy shit, people really want to see this. And, and it was packed. And I, and I stood there for half an hour afterwards answering questions because people are so not versed in how to deal with conflict. Um, and, and there's nothing scarier than salary negotiation with people. And people don't realize the power that they have in that situation. But, but it goes back to the psychology of of who you're dealing with. It's like they don't, people don't even know how to put themselves in the shoes of the person who's hiring them enough to realize that, like, they need you. That's why you're here. You've made it all the way through the interview to this point. You've got leverage. Now's the time to use it. And people are afraid to. And, you know, it, it's the same thing when there's conflict and you're already hired. It's like you're here because you're valued. And people are constantly afraid to to lean on that or test it. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I gotta ask, have you seen our compensation approach at Oxide? Um, you know, I have not. Okay. Oh, here, just drop the link to the blog entry. Uh, so we pay everyone the same at Oxide. Um, and we've got a long blog entry that explains why. Um, but it's been, uh, I think it's been great. I mean, I'll let the other folks at Oxide can speak for themselves, but I think it's been, um, it's something we were not going to actually talk about, but we found that uh, people who were applying um, didn't necessarily know how serious we were about our principles and values, um, and knowing about the compensation was a big part of that. So, um, 
I, myself, I don't feel like I have the answer to all of that. That's a big question. So I'm, I'm really interested to see yours. Yeah, so Nate, it's, it, and again, I got to figure out how to like show notes for this or whatever, but it's uh, compensation as a reflection of values today is the blog entry that describes our approach and why we did it that way. And Sid, I saw you were uh, unmuting yourself there. Uh, yeah, I, I just want to say, I don't know if you have, everybody knew, knew this, but uh, Steve Jobs famously tried this at Next in uh, his early days, and it was it was a failure, but it was slightly different. He, he wanted total transparency, but pay was not equal for everybody, so it turned out to be a disaster. Yeah, I'd be interested to know how, how you guys' experiment works out. Yeah, that's that, I did not know that about Next. Um, yeah, I think I read that in his biography, uh, the, the official one by uh, uh, Isaacson. Yeah, I, it, that does not. That's interesting. I mean, he, he certainly, uh, his character is. Well, that's interesting. I'd be, I'd be curious to know how it would work out. But it may presumably he saw some of the same things we saw uh, in terms of yeah. people wasting mental energy on this. This is ultimately the way. But it, I do feel that like it's very hard to say that like all right, people should stop wasting mental energy on this. But by the way, there's going to be this huge disparity. You're like, well, all right, you're just done. Okay, hold on, wait a minute, what? <laughs> Right. Yeah. I, I think I think that's like the worst of both worlds where you're, you're kind of like Google where you're saying explicitly that you cannot value each person, you know, the same. But, you know, we're, we're this radical company where everybody knows where, you know, what everybody else is making. That's just that's a recipe for disaster. But apparently he believed in it for a very long time and it, he just had to, you know, you know he, he was just he got kicked around a lot because of it and lost a lot of productivity and sort of kind of, you know, gave away. I mean, yeah, that's interesting. Well, the, the I, certainly I was talking to a fellow CTO, and she was telling me about another company she had advised that transitioned from non-transparent salaries to transparent salaries. And she's like, "Yeah, that's like six months of guaranteed shit show when you go." So, like, that's what you want to really avoid. So, we've had the advantage of starting the way. Daily, daily rates quitting. Oh, that's right. That's right. Well, hey, so we, I think we want to keep this for about an hour. Um, I would uh, love to know, and hopefully Twitter spaces will improve to the point where it won't move me off after 20 minutes. Um, but thank you, everyone. Thank you, Laura, for, for uh, offering your perspective on the NXP vulnerability. Rick, you, I, I saw that you joined, but Laura was singing your high praises for all of your roles and, and, and your role in the, the vulnerability, LPC55 vulnerability. Adam, thank you as always. Um, and Nate, everyone, for, for joining us up here. Um, and yeah, let me know how you, go, how you like it. But I think we're gonna do it kind of like the same time next week. Adam, are you still in? Yeah, same time next week. And if there's folks like if if uh, people are happy with the random walk, then we'll keep on randomly walking. And but if people have topics, like post them on my Ryan's Twitter, and we'll we'll see if we get to them. Yeah, and if people want to like would love to speak, um, let me know. So like the app is not great at showing me everybody. So um, maybe uh, we'll, we'll try to get better at this as we go. But it's definitely fun to talk to everyone and uh, get everyone's perspective. So thanks everybody.